the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I love that song. Unfortunately, it can be man-centered and misinterpreted to believe that if you don't take the things of your life to the Lord in prayer, that he doesn't have them. In reality, our God is sovereign and there is nothing that escapes him, especially concerning his children. There is nothing that would touch your life that your father is not intimately involved in. Taking it to him in prayer brings you to the place where you acknowledge the truth of that. We don't pray to convince God of anything. We pray to fully embrace his will concerning us. And taking it to the Lord in prayer allows you to enter into the petitions of the Spirit of God and admit the truth to your soul. Embrace the fullness of it. For that, we're thankful. For we were made for relationship, not religion. Last week, we actually began chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. And we looked at the first two verses. Now, I want to start by reading those two verses to you again, just to refresh the flow of it in your mind. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us, looking away from all that would distract us and focusing our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. He is the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. It says we are to strip off every encumbrance that would hinder our full participation in this race. Now that should be our determination It is prompted by the new nature. We must determine to be obedient. Now, he doesn't call every encumbrance sin. 
He calls it unnecessary weight. And then he names the sin that is familiar to us. That is sin that continually trips us up. The sin that is with us because we make allowances for it. We have a picture here of a nominal Christian who is on the track of the Christian life, but is trotting and seeking to make the race comfortable, a comfortable saunter, if you will. Such a Christian will only have his feet in the race. His eyes are going to be off track. Therefore, he is easily tripped. This Christian made his comfort the priority of life. Grace to him is God's hall pass from all of the difficult challenges that we encounter in this life. Many Christians really never learned to run. They've never really had to. They have no endurance. Their faith is weak. They live their lives with self-protection. And when trouble encounters them, when they encounter trouble, their lives are marked by fear, self-protection, anxiety, worry, blame, doubt, and unbelief. In short, they respond to the difficulties of life much in the same way that an unbeliever does. The unbeliever wasn't made for this race. They are not even in this race. It seems like foolishness to them and to watch you for you to endure. However, They are being ignorant. They are setting aside the truth of God. They're ignoring what the Spirit of God has already made plain. They know there is a God, but they refuse to see them. They're too focused on the little G, themselves, to move forward. The Hebrew Christian in this particular little congregation had not been challenged in their faith to the degree that they are now. They had been comfortable and passive in their faith. However, now they were being ridiculed and seen as objects of scorn and contempt in the society that they lived in. Things were becoming increasingly difficult for them. Their comfortable world had been turned upside down. Now, I believe that many of them were asking questions like, why would God allow believers to suffer? Why wasn't he blessing them? Why wasn't he removing the things that were coming against them? They were fearful. They'd been cast out of the temple and the marketplace. Some of them had had their possessions confiscated. How would they provide for their families? The author of Hebrews is showing them that trials are a call to faith. They're a call to trust your God. That's what he's demonstrating. Faith and trust in God is not a passive act. It is a moment-by-moment determination. It is something that should not be ignored, but your soul's attention must grasp on a regular basis. You should wake up in the morning giving praise and thanksgiving unto him for the day that he has prepared for you. You should go to bed at night, laying everything at his feet, recognizing that he is sovereign, recognizing that he is in control, that nothing has touched your life unless it is passed through his hands, recognizing that you are blessed upon the earth. Even the most difficult things that have come against you in this life have come at the hand, by the hand, or because of the hand of God. You see, if God was just interested in your comfort, he'd just jettison you right on into heaven, wouldn't he? No, there's something to be learned. 
There is something that this life is about that is vitally important to God. He can create perfect beings who will op- operate in almost absolute obedience. I say almost, but some of them fell. But I'm talking about angels. No, he created you to be the free will sons and daughters of his father. Our humanity will always look for a way to avoid the trials and troubles of life. But you know what? And maybe you've discovered this. That is not possible. It is not possible. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world, you have trouble and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. His victory is abiding. You are living in his victory. Now, if we do not live this life by faith, then our faith grows weak. And when trouble comes, we run to God in fear, secretly worried that he will not provide for us. And then you hear a lot of people making promises. God, if you will do this, we will do that. As though God needed to barter with them. This is because we have not grown in our relationship with him. You see, you don't trust somebody you're not familiar with. We have not grown in our relationship with him. And we know him to the degree that life has compelled us to. And I see that a lot in Christian lives. And you can debate whether or not they're truly Christian. But here's the thing. That's not your job. That's God's job. And they go to God when there's problems. They go to God when situations provoke them to. They will go to God in the practice of ceremony. They'll go to God in the, in the issues of marriage and funerals. They'll go to God when their circumstances get difficult. But it is not a relationship. It's a religious visitation. And then when they get before God, after being estranged from him for whatever period of time since the last thing, they're begging and pleading for God to take them seriously, to know their heart, and to rescue them out of their situation. Now, you can see that over and over again in the Old Testament with Israel. But that is not how God intended for us to live. Christ came that we might have his life and have it to an abundance. So that we can live in relationship with him. So we can be confident of his love. Be confident of his power. Be confident of his provision and protection. And that confidence is to radiate from us. We are the light. And if we are not walking in confidence, how is the world to see the truth of our God? This is what God has called us to. We don't grow in the relationship. We only know him to the degree that life provokes us. And God has given us the love and the security that we crave, that many are seeking in this life. But if we do not walk in it, we'll be suspicious of him every time trouble comes. You say, suspicious of God? Absolutely. Suspicious that maybe he won't come through because we have not done all that we should have done. We did not 
pray when we should have prayed. We did not read the Bible. We did not attend services. We did not live in the truth. We did not, we have not spoken to him in a while. We're suspicious because we treat him the way we would treat someone else. So we think he is like we are. Today our text is going to be chapter 12 verses 3 through 11. And I want to remind you that our author is actually writing this to encourage believers. And it might seem to the casual reader of this text that it's just the opposite. But that's really what the Spirit of God is seeking to do. Now please stand with me while I read our text. Verse 3. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against him. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement which is addressed to you as sons. My son... Do not make light of the discipline of the Lord, and do not lose heart and give up when corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves, and he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to correction for the purposes of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom whom his father does not discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons at all. Moreover, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? For our earthly father disciplined us for only a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right standing with God." and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. May God, as only he can, bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, we are not unlike this little Hebrew congregation. Uh, We are living in uncertain times. I think most of us would admit that. And it is difficult to deal with all the threats and challenges and changes that are coming our way. In what seems like a very short time, our way of life has been turned upside down. In times like these, we are reminded of how frail and temporal this life can be. How easily the things that we have always had our trust in and counted on can be uprooted. And how quickly they can be taken from us. We also notice... How quickly evil fills the vacuum left by complacent and self-centered Christians. What should the Christian do to combat fear and anxiety? Well, we just have the answer right there in verses 2 and 3. Looking away from all that would distract us, that will distract us. 
Focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief, and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it in all comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Remember, this is said in the metaphor of a race. But it's referring to how we live the Christian life. The race or the Christian life is, is a set course. That's something we need to remember. It is a set course that's established by God. It is not a path that is constantly changing as the world and the enemy sets traps or diversions. I'm not saying those things aren't there. I'm saying that God, before the foundations of the world were formed, allowed those things. That's how all things are going to work together for good. Every difficulty, every trial has been anticipated by God and is allowed for the purpose of shaping us for eternity. Now, the author has set Jesus as our example in how to run the race. He never looked away. He never looked back. He ran for the joy that was set before him, and he endured by virtue of his trust and faith in the Father and the certainty that his obedience would be our salvation. As I was reading this, I was reminded of when our children learned to walk. We would put them between us, Saber and I would, and try to get them to come to the other, and usually the other was mama, right? And they would overcome their fear of falling by attempting to walk or run to their mother. And I can remember the look on their face for the joy that was set before them. They were thrilled. I, I still remember the smiles. Or when we would pick them up from the nursery at church. What may have been a fuss before we got there quickly became squeals of delight. In the same way we know our Father. And if we would turn our focus toward Him, we will begin to run as we were made to run. As we were made to live this life. When our focus is right, the obstacles become conveyances that enable us to run with truth empowering every stride. So, with the same determination of faith that Jesus had, we run with our eyes fixed on him. In verse 3, the author returns to the issue of focus. And he tells him, this is what you do to endure. This is what you do when you begin to feel the weariness of striving in your humanity. This is what you do. When you begin to lose heart or momentum in your Christian life, just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now I will say something about that. If you're comparing your flesh and weakness to the faithfulness and the obedience seen in Christ when he lived his life on the earth, you will not be encouraged. The enemy will set you up to be discouraged. 
Because he's the accuser, he will cause you to look at the bankruptcy of your humanity. But the scripture is calling you to meditate. The Greek word for consider means to ponder and think on. Look at the life of Jesus. See him as he is. The same faith that allowed him to endure such great trials is now yours. He is the author and finisher of your faith. That same love that motivated him is now yours. You carry his love. It's been shed abroad in your heart. Reckon upon his strength and love. Remember what the Apostle Paul endured? How did he do that? How could that man who was in his latter years endure such suffering, such persecution? Well, we know Galatians 2.20. He writes, I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by how? Faith. Exactly. By adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. That's how he endured That's how he went forward. And that's how suffering turned from his perspective into a hardship to a blessing. From a hardship to a blessing. Now, consider Jesus. Consider his life that animates your spirit. Consider that the life that couldn't be stopped by any trial or suffering is now yours. If Jesus is your focus... It's very clear, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verses 4 and 5. You have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement which is addressed to you. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord, and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected. Well, as we have all heard, never say, Well, it can't get any worse, right? I remember as a kid, when I fell down and took a hit, if I went to my mother crying, she would ask, is there any blood? Are you bleeding? Then she would give me a cursory once over and send me on my way. You can tell that the gift of mercy and compassion runs deep in my family. So there are two things that the author is bringing to their attention. That struggle is not to be compared with what Jesus endured. Our struggle cannot be compared to what Jesus endured. And that they still had their physical lives. Now notice the two words, not yet. Not yet. That means it's coming. It's coming. In your striving against sin, it is in their struggling against sin, that they would, in fact, shed blood. But they're not there yet. They have not yet been martyred for their faith. Now, in verse 5, he reminds them of Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. And this is a word of divine encouragement. It is a note from a father to a son. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord. And do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. How many times would we need to hear that? 
Now, some of you or some of your translations use the word chastening. And that is the Greek word paduo. And it means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of the mind and morals and employs for this purpose commands, admonition, and reproof. It also includes the training and care of the body. So, Mackenzie, paduo is what you're doing with your child, even today. All in love. All in love. This is basically parenting done right. That's what it is. And this word is used repeatedly in our text. It is for the purpose of showing the Hebrews that the trials of life should be viewed in the context of a loving relationship with a parent who is determined that you mature and learn how to live in a healthy way. That's God's intention for you. He's allowing what he is allowing in your life in order to take you forward. Now, we know maturity is not something he adds to us, but literally how he expands us in knowing all that he gave us in Christ. And he is using circumstances and situations in order to reveal to you the truth of his character, the truth of his love, the fullness of his life in you. I use the illustration all the time. You didn't know that God was your provision until you had no other resource. You didn't know that God was your protection until you were threatened and couldn't defend yourself. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.